Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful tonight for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the salvation that you have given to us so freely, for the day that we received that salvation and the joy that you brought to our hearts. You remind us, Lord, in your word that blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. Tonight, Father, I come to this this time of proclamation with a sense, Lord, that, that you are here, ready to speak to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would open us to your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yes, you can be seated. For those of you on the front row that are trying to figure out if everybody behind you sat down, that is okay. <laughs> Don't you just love that when uh, everybody sits down behind you and you're the last one standing up and wondering you know, what's going on? Am I the one that's uh, rattling up here or is that somebody else? I don't know about you this evening, but I, I'm to a place where I need some good news. I, I, I need something um, in my life that, that will transform this, this cloud that is hanging over me to, to one of optimism and, and hope. Uh, you know, I was listening to, um, to Dr. Butler preach a few weeks ago. How many of you heard his message? Um, I don't know, two or three, four weeks ago. And, and I thought to myself as he was giving his introductory remarks, there's a man who needs some good news. He said that he had spent the entire summer studying the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I don't know if you have read Ecclesiastes recently, but that is where we get the inspiring words, such as meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or or take this one. For the wise men, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise men, too, must die. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living, who are still alive. Better, but better than both is he who has not been, who has not, been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Doesn't that just make you jump for joy? I mean, that inspires my heart. To, uh, you know, I, I think about the writer to Ecclesiastes, and, I, and, and I, I kind of put him in the same camp as Jeremiah, who was so depressed they called him the weeping prophet, or, or perhaps Job, who couldn't buy a friend. I mean, these guys are depressing folks, and if you want to be encouraged, it is not the place to go in Scripture. You know, it, it seems like 9-11 that there's been this cloud hanging over us. Something that, that isn't quite right with the way we're living right now. I, I remember where I was when the plane hit the tower. You know, the 9-11 is kind of the, the JFK assassination of our generation, of my generation, I should say. I, I remember my parents talking about, I remember where I was. I was a, a, a grade schooler at the time. And uh, for those of you that are calcul- calculating right now, I'm 47. <laughs> I do it too. <laughs> Somebody always makes a comment and you start counting backwards. You know? um, but, you know, my parents talked about that, and, and, and now we talk about where the planes, where we were when, when the planes hit the tower. And, and I remember the feeling of dread 
that was, was kind of hanging over us as the truth of that event emerged and, and the eerie silence that there was with the grounding of the planes. You know, I think around here especially with all the airport and, and, and the air bases and that kind of thing, it was really strange. And then you follow that with Afghanistan and Iraq, and every day we wait to the news of, of, of bomb blasts and, and soldiers being killed and, and somebody being beheaded and, and the posturing by Al-Qaeda and, and the others that are determined to fight this holy war. And I wonder sometimes why they feel like it's necessary to make life miserable for everybody. And sometimes in the midst of all of that, we forget about the other news that has come our way, like little girls who have been kidnapped from their bedrooms or pregnant women who are murdered and tossed into the ocean. And if that isn't enough, then we have to deal with our own pressures. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting at the kitchen table and on this side is the checkbook with a balance in it. And over here is a pile of bills with a certain balance to it, and it just doesn't quite work out the way it's supposed to. Uh, or perhaps that child that you uprooted from the fam familiarity of home and friends and family to move across the country to follow this calling that God has put on your life, and now that child is entrenched in rebellion. Sometimes the, the, the good news is just not there. And I'm not sure about you this evening, but I need some good news. The text this evening is from Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. The scene is familiar. Simon, who we know as Peter and his brother Andrew, are going about the business of life. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're fishing. That's what they're supposed to do. The scripture says that they are casting their nets, and I kind of get this picture. You know, the only experience I have with fishing is taking my fishing rod out and, and going out to the bank and catching a, a sunburn or something like that. But, you know, the movies tell me that these guys, uh, you know, they get their nets and their boats and they go out and they do serious fishing. And they go out each morning and each evening they come back in and they put the fish on one side of the table and they put the needs of their family on the other side of the table and they begin looking at this and sometimes it works out pretty good and sometimes it just doesn't. There's not enough fish there. And in addition to that, we, we see these people who lived in the world of a Jewish male and, and while they enjoyed a, a certain amount of freedom in the context of, of who they were as, as these Jewish men, they, they also lived under the oppression of this, this Roman government. It was always kind of in the back of their minds. In fact, they had been under this oppression from various governments for generations and really didn't know what it was like to have life any differently. And one day in the midst of this, Jesus shows up. And the scripture says that after John was put into prison, that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, there was something about that proclamation that struck a chord with Peter and Andrew. I, I look at this and have to ask myself, what was it about what he said that caused them to drop their nets and to follow him? What caused them to be compelled to embrace the good news? 
And I don't know that they fully understood Jesus' invitation. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospels, you begin to realize very quickly that they didn't understand it. And in fact, their, their expectation was probably, their understanding of the, of the proclamation was probably wrapped up in this Jewish messianic expectation that God would send this great conqueror and, and deliver Israel to its rightful place. That everything would work out just like the storybook ending. It would work out exactly the way it's supposed to. But you know, regardless of their understanding, one thing seems certain. They expected God to do something. You understand what I'm saying? They expected something significant to happen. They expected that the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Moses, they expected that the God that they learned about in the synagogue, that the, the, the person, the God that they talked about around the campfires and the kitchen table, that this God was on their side. And when Jesus walked into the arena of human history and began proclaiming this to them, suddenly they said, God is here. I am convinced that the good news is born in the seedbed of expectancy. What we expect God to do. And I suppose the question that arises for us this evening is simply this. What are you expecting? What are you looking for God to do in your life? You see, unfortunately, I think what happens is that we too often find ourselves trying to create our own good news by manipulating our circumstances. We think that if we work harder or if we think positively or if we dedicate ourselves more, maybe perhaps we bring God into the deal and we bargain with him. And we think, we kind of strike out with God in this, in this way. Have you ever done this? God, if you will only, then I will. Kind of like, I, I never thought of myself cutting a bargain with God, you know. And, and we're essentially saying to God, you know, God, if, if you'll come through, if you'll do what I think you need to do to make this thing right, then I'm going to follow you. And, and you see, the problem with this is that our good news becomes contingent upon our ability to control our own circumstances. And sooner or later, something comes along that messes that up. Something that we have no control over. It may be a job, maybe the job that doesn't happen, our children, an illness. And the question that still remains in this is what are you expecting from God? I was talking to an online student a few weeks ago. The best you can do to talk to an online student, we actually kind of email back and forth. I guess that's a conversation of sorts. <clears throat> And, and I'm teaching right now the uh, biblical interpretation. We were discussing the fundamental purpose of Scripture, and it led into a conversation, the purpose of God in our lives. And, and it turned the, the conversation turned to this whole concept of the mentality of, of our society that says it's all about me and the impact that that has had on the way that we interpret Scripture, the way that we bring Scripture and God to bear upon our lives. And we begin to, to discuss this, and, and it began to emerge that we think that God's primary purpose in life is to make sure that I have no pain or suffering or, or challenges in life that are going to create discomfort for me. And I ask the question, what if God has called you to a cross? 
kind of a sobering question, isn't it? And I've thought to myself often, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and Jesus' path led him to the cross, then how can we ask for anything less in our lives? You see, underlying this question is this. Do you still trust God when the check is not in the mail? Do you still trust God when your child continues to rebel as much as you have prayed for them? Do you still trust God when your spouse dies of cancer, even though the entire country has been praying for that person? Is God still God? And you see, if you can't answer yes to that question, then perhaps we need to reevaluate what God you were expecting. Which leads to the second point. You see, not only is the good news born in the seedbed of expectation, but good news is embraced in a change of mind about how we view God, what we think about Him. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near. He said to repent and believe, to repent, to change. The term simply means to turn around. It means to stop doing and thinking one thing and to turn around and do another. I remember when I was in high school and college, I was in marching band. And those of you that were a part of a band understand the terminology. In the mid-70s, early to mid-70s, they changed to a core style of marching. But prior to that, we had a military style of marching. It was very structured. And we would be in our formation, and we would march down the field. And at a particular time, the drum major would twirl his baton and blow his whistle and give a command. And we knew that at that time, it was time to spin around on our foot and go the other direction. We would do an about face. I could very, it just as easily use the term repent. I could see a whole marching band repenting. <laughs> I understand that the context of New Testament repentance suggests turning from sin to a life of goodness and holiness. But if you look at the lives of these disciples, it also meant a change of vocation. Whatever it was about that encounter, it compelled them to lay down their nets and to follow Jesus Christ. I, I, I took a, a look at the, the context of the usage of this phrase, this term, good news, the, the evangel. It, it is the term from which we get evangelical. It talks about the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and interestingly enough, if you look at the term in the context of the gospel, the good news is geared around the advent of the kingdom of God. But if you move outside of the Gospels, you see that the, the good news is focused on Jesus himself. And that the good news of the kingdom is wrapped up in the person and identity of Jesus Christ. And so I began exploring this. There are a couple of things that emerged related to the identification of Jesus. The first is Jesus as Savior. It's kind of interesting that the earliest usage of the phrase related to the identification of Jesus is found in Luke 2, verse 10. I'm talking about New Testament here. And earliest in time, not in the books. I knew you'd be checking me out there, Dr. Powers. Thank you. <laughs> the angels proclaimed the birth of Christ to the shepherds, and they said this, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town um, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It says, a Savior has been born. It's kind of interesting. Well, uh, Dr. Powers, my good friend, and I spent all of last uh, faculty retreat 
arguing the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, you'd think we'd get away from this place and talk about something a little less uh, <laughs> intense. But if you know Dr. Powers, he, you know, he's kind of a stubborn person. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. <laughs> kind of determined. <laughs> we go way back so I can pick on him until he gets up here and he picks on me. <clears throat> But, you know, we argued about all this stuff, we talked about it, we debated, and, and you know, I, I, I began to realize that there was much more to this whole thing than I realized. But one thing that came through, regardless of how you look at it, is that the good news is that Jesus came to save us from our sin. He is Savior. Do you remember the day you were saved? Do you remember the lifting of oppression in that experience? Do you remember the sense of joy and peace that your sins have been forgiven? Sometimes I think we need to revisit that encounter. But we need to think about it. We need to, to be there once again. Because I think we have forgotten, we tend to forget what God has really done for us. Again, I go back to my online classes. And one of the things that we do there, the very first thing is we post an autobiography. It helps us to kind of connect and understand who we are and who the different people are in the class. And I have to admit that as, as, as a teacher and taking on that role of educator that I get caught up in the educational process sometimes, and especially with a computer sitting between you, you and the other person, you forget about that person. But I was reading the autobiographies last time. And I read this one guy who was talking about his life before God. And he talked about alcohol and cocaine and women. But then he said, then God came. Sometimes I think we need to go back and remember what God has done in our lives. The second thing that I saw as I was looking at this phrase in relationship to Jesus' identity was Jesus as Lord. The angel said, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is proclaiming Christ to the house of Cornelius. And in verse 36, it says that you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Sometimes I think that we miss the most important part of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We get so excited about sins forgiven that we forget that genuine peace and freedom and contentment comes in absolute submission to His Lordship, to Him. I remember the old-time preachers. Some of you are going to know about this. And they'd get down to the altar call and they talk about coming to the altar and putting everything on the altar. And after they got through describing all of that stuff, they said, now take the unknown bundle and wrap it up and put it right there. And that unknown bundle represented everything past and present and future, the unknown, the unthinkable, and places it squarely into God's hands in lordship. You see, the good news this evening is trusting God even when things don't seem to fit. Knowing that He is still Lord. Knowing that I still trust Him in spite of the circumstances that I'm facing.
Which brings me to the last point. You see, good news is not only born in the seedbed of expectation and embraced in the change of mind about how we view God, but good news is expressed in a life of absolute trust in God's design for your life. Jesus said, repent and believe. The term itself is, is rooted in reality. Believe is not mental assent to a set of ideas. It is an expression of our faith. It is an expression of the relationship that we have with God. These disciples were so transformed by the good news that they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. That is faith in action. You see, you cannot say that you trust God and live in constant fear of the future. The two don't, they don't go together. They don't mesh. And when you have embraced the good news, it will result in a transformed life. It will result in how you live out that relationship. I want to tell you something. I need some good news this evening. I think I need to rethink what I'm expecting from God. I, I need to revisit His saving grace in my life. I need to refocus my commitment to Him. I need to experience once again what it means to trust Him absolutely. No bargains. No give and take. Just God, it's yours. And I suspect that some of you do as well. I suspect that some of you have been sitting at the table lately. And the checkbook's here, and the bills are here, and it's just not working out the way you thought it was supposed to. I, I suspect that some of you may be battling with a child who, who you drug across, across the country for this calling. They say, not me. I don't think so. That's not my life. I suspect that some of you came here with the optimism of God's care and you're now ready to give up because God didn't come through the way that you thought He should. I have good news for you this evening. The God who called you apart is still with you tonight. I want to close with a story. And I'm going to ask uh, Chaplain Like to come lead us in a song. One of the greatest news, uh, pieces of news, I guess, that a parent can experience is when their children make a, a decision for God. My uh, next to oldest son, Mark, is a senior at Mid-American Nazarene University this year. And he grew up in a, in a pastor's home. He knew what it was to, uh, to accept Christ. He knew what it was to go to church. He knew what it was to be a good kid. He knew what it was to be a not-so-good kid. <laughs> and then as he, he grew up, he made his way out um, to college and making his own way in the world. Basically a good kid. Accepted Christ as a child. He emailed me a, a few weeks ago and talked about how God had been dealing with him the last few months. And, 
And he said that he came to this point in his life a few weeks back that he committed his life wholly to Jesus Christ. He's a Christian, basically a good kid. And he used the words, God sanctified him. Don't hear that much anymore, do you? I needed to hear that. And I've lifted a couple of sentences out of his email. This is what he said. He said, now, I don't say all of this to say that I don't struggle with things anymore, but I really want to live a pure life that is pleasing to God. And listen to this. And the peace of mind and joy that comes out of that is overwhelming. I don't know about you, but I need some of that. I need a piece of that. I, I need an encounter with God that says, regardless of what happens in life, I have placed myself squarely in His hands. No bargains. No if you will, and, and I'll do this, but God, I give you everything that I am. Completely. That's the good news. One of the things I, I love about this college is that regardless of what we have to do in the agenda, there's always time to pray. We're going to sing. If you'd like to come and pray, this place is for you. That's why we have chapel, for us to come and pray. Let's stand together.